podcast, coming to you live from the lobby of the Jodo Shinji Center here in Berkeley, California. Being here, whether in person or somewhere off of the internet. Yeah, the internet is working. Yeah, it's the first time we tried to do something like this. So, well, not the first time we did the live podcast, but the first time we did live simulcast. So, uh, <laughs> so is this what we're talking about? I guess so. <laughs> Could be. All right. You should tell them though if you have if you're watching and you have questions. You could even be in the audience and post questions on our Twitter page, and um, we'll see if we can get to them. Yeah, yeah, by all means, post Twitter. Don't actually talk to us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be so 20th century. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about, uh, we recently did a podcast on Buddhism and science fiction, and it was a two-part podcast. Uh, it was longer than, it was even, I think, over an hour, it was longer than our usual ones, and I still forgot something I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to get to that at some point. We could start with that. It's the issue of cosmology. I think we should start there. Yeah, let's do that, because we've been advertising, we're going to talk about it, so we better, better get it in there. So, um, cosmology is a huge part of Buddhism. Uh, sometimes I think it's uh, a part of Buddhism that gets kind of pushed aside in our supposedly enlightened modern times as kind of um, fantastic or kind of mythical, something maybe that we don't want to uh, emphasize so much. But uh, and it's important to know that there's not only one cosmology uh, in Buddhism. I think there's various models uh, depending on the different kinds of Buddhism. Uh, but I think also we have kind of Cosmology might not be the right word, but even in our just kind of our daily lives, in our um, uh, 21st century American existence or whatever, uh, wherever you happen to be, uh, that we have kind of uh, worldviews. Maybe would be the, the better term to use, right? Whether it's a capitalist worldview or um, smaller than that or bigger than that. Um, so that's kind of important like to eventually get to. We said we were going to talk about, it, figure out what we were going to say. I was going to say, I was, no, I was about to say, you want to eventually get there? I thought you wanted to start there. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I want to give it all away at the beginning. All right. I think you should give it all away at the beginning. Okay. Because um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> would have been nice if I told you, huh? Um, I didn't grow up Buddhist, right? I didn't encounter Buddhism until college. And while I was in college, I also uh, got into bands like Fish uh, or The Grateful Dead or even just kind of genres like heavy metal in general uh, seems to have kind of uh, cosmological elements. Um, later on, I got into this French group called Magma, and uh, they're from the 70s. And so what Magma did is really interesting because uh, it's related to science fiction. Um, their albums are about a story about the future where people leave Earth, a, group, a small group of people leave Earth uh, because of all the um, 
politics and destruction and hatred and everything. So they leave. Uh, they go to this um, planet far away called Kobaya. And in Kobaya, they try to set up a, kind of an ideal society uh, that uh, is based on discipline. Uh, and uh, they even wrote a language to sing all the songs in Kobayan. And so they, the Malans aren't even in French. They're in Kobayan, so even French people can't understand them. Uh, but suppose there's this whole kind of mythology built into it. And it seems like there's almost an ethical dimension to it. You know, or do the band live up to these principles? Is it just a story, or is there some kind of uh, lifestyle that goes with it? Do the fans have this kind of lifestyle? Uh, and so, you know, that made me think back to like the Grateful Dead, for example, where, you know, you had, it was like almost a culture, right, of, of people that would follow the Grateful Dead, and like the Grateful Dead songs don't necessarily have uh, a consistent mythology, and yet there's there's something there like, with the songwriters and everything that seems to create a world uh, that people could go and have it. And part of the ritual of it maybe was to go to a dead show, right? There, there should, it was not only the concert, it was like the parking lot scene, it was being on tour, following the band around, trying to make a living off that, and then the show was kind of like the um, maybe the, the, the concert hall is the church, and the show would be like the actual ritual, right? And then everyone partook in this. I don't know if they treated each other any better or not. Um, you know, there wasn't like an explicit code there, right? But it seemed to have the kind of um, some. I think people look for that. I think the reason why it was so popular and powerful uh, was because people are looking for that. They're looking for a community, right? And uh, a community that seems to be encouraging something. Right? I think the Grateful Dead members would, would say that they weren't. They're very libertarian. I think and said, you know, we're not preaching anything. But, and yet, there's this huge culture built around it. And so, uh, I think that people look for that. And we could probably think of other examples, heavy metal, or you know, the kind of music that you like, and dressing a certain way. And, right? um, I think, too, you know, Star Wars, we could move it on to movies, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek conventions. Um, you know, that uh, this is something that, that happens and that people are looking for in our society. So to me, Buddhism also has these cosmological, uh, well, it's got the community aspect, right? And uh, and yet, I think it does give more of like a way of life. You know, that, that it does have the ethical dimension and yet it also has this whole cosmological dimension. Bodhisattvas, whether it's bodhisattvas or multiple worlds, right? With Buddhas in other worlds, or you know, just a way to, to think about our world in a different way, right? To remind us that the world that we see around us um, is maybe only one way, one possible way to think of it. That maybe there are other ways to think about it, uh, and that those other ways could um, could teach us something, could do something, do something different. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> That's all you wanted. That's to all say. I wanted to say. <laughs> and we're done. And we're done. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Cue theme music. Star wipeout. <laughs> uh, I think that's. I think. I think. I'm in agreement with everything you just said. So. Oh, good. <laughs> um, and I, I think that you're. I think you're right that uh, that many people are looking for some sort of community to belong to, um, and that explains a lot about not only uh, uh, fanatical people who follow the dead around, but also Star Trek conventioners and 
um, and religious folks. <laughs> <laughs> lump them all together. I think we should lump them all together. I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm curious to know what this has to do in your mind with uh, cosmologies and, and different worldviews, and then to bring it back to Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite following you yet. Um, <laughs> Take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, you know, that a lot of times I think we, we have worldviews without realizing it, mm-hmm. right? That the, the, um, the way we view the world is formed so much by television, uh, by advertising, uh, by all the messages we get um, around us, uh, from our parents, right? From, from uh, the people around us and the communities that we're in. Um, and so maybe uh, looking at Buddhist cosmology and a Buddhist worldview. A Buddhist worldview that has cosmological aspects, maybe? Yeah. Could have I, cosmological I was, I was aspects? Adding that, I think cosmology and or worldview. Right, 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 right. Because cosmology is maybe more, uh, more of a technical term, huh? Has, has a, maybe a tighter meaning to it. I'm not sure. But, um, but yeah. that Buddhist cosmology could, one thing it can do, I think, is um, ask us to question our worldview, right? To not take our worldview for granted. Uh, and to uh, to realize that the way we view the world is not necessarily the only way possible, right? That the way we view the world, uh, there's a lot going on in there that we may not even realize, and and so that's maybe the um, critical impulse to 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 want to question that. Mm-hmm. So whereas the dead people don't, uh, the dead people, the people who are following the dead don't see themselves as having a worldview, uh, or buying into a particular cosmology, the Buddhist cosmology slash worldview is actually bringing that to the forefront and actually asking you to question it. Right, 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 right. Um, or question how you see the world or your place within the world. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. And that's not to put down um, the dead or fish or anything like that, but, but sometimes I think that can, uh, when they're being fed a worldview maybe, um, and not realizing it too, mm-hmm. right? Right, because it was interesting you brought up television and advertising because that's another worldview we're being fed but not questioning. Mm-hmm. We're implicitly buying into it. If you don't Which watch is, TV for... I didn't watch TV for a long time when I was in IBS, Institute of Buddhist Studies. I point over there, it's here now. When I was there, it was over <laughs> there. Um, and when I would watch TV again, I was like, this is weird. You know, there's stuff that just seemed normal, like commercials, and then to to not watch for a long time, and then when you watch it again after a couple of years, you're just like, this is really weird. How could this have been normal kind of thing, right? So Yeah, you get used to it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> but this might have to do with this other topic that you brought up. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. The, the happiness industry. We should totally talk about that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so uh, this came up at the uh, yeah at the conference we had at uh, the Institute of Buddhist Studies a few weeks ago. We had a conference, and um, uh, I don't know why, but um, or what the context was, but our our dean Richard Payne uh, asked this question of a panel, and I don't again I don't remember why, but he said, "When did Buddhism become the happiness industry?" which I think is a 
Wonderful question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you like to start on that one? <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, not really? Um, well, I think that I think that what he was concerned. I think that what, the, what he was pointing to was this uh, sense that there's a lot of there's an industry built up about being happy, right? Um, that I think is not necessarily Buddhist um, or exists apart from Buddhism, right? There's a whole section in the bookstore for self-help books. So I think there's plenty of people who are interested in, in making people happier um, and in pursuing happiness. And I think that. Uh, that Dr. Payne's question has to do with the fact that many of these folks are sort of co-opting Buddhism or using uh, Buddhist ideas to promote happiness mm-hmm. um, or making the claim that Buddhism will make you happy mm-hmm. without really... And I think, in, in now, I'm, now I'm inserting my own questions here, I think in a sort of uncritical way that, mm-hmm. that you know, if you become a Buddhist, you're just gonna become more happy, but what does that mean? What kind of happiness? And is, is that even really true? Mm-hmm. I think is, is, is some of the important questions. And it's not to say that Buddhism isn't about happiness, but it's to question our assumptions, right? That, but that it, it becomes kind of normal that, because um, we hear it so much of, of uh, the art of happiness, for example, right? The Dalai Lama book. And, um, he didn't write that. Right, but he's a, so he's a, pictures emblazoned on the cover, so it's you know it it becomes associated that yeah. you know Buddhism is about happiness and the message is simple and that's all it is and you know right. and so so it's important to um, step back every now and again and think is that really what it's about you know is 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 this really what's going on or yeah it's really interesting because. Um, yeah, I mean, you hear that language used, mm-hmm. I think, in Buddhism, and, you know, may all beings be happy and well, right? That, that you know, we're trying to um, ease the suffering of uh, beings, or that's what Buddha does, right? And his teachings lead to the cessation of suffering, but maybe the question is, is the cessation of suffering, is that a state of happiness? Right. Does that mean you'll end up happy? Yay! Right? Happy all the time? Or, yeah, and I or, think you can make an argument that happiness is, an, is itself a kind of suffering. Right, it could be, yeah. Especially attachment to happiness yeah. or, yeah, yeah. Or the fear of losing your happiness or the fear of not being happy or mm-hmm. the aversion to the opposite of happiness. And I don't think that in a strict Buddhist cosmology or worldview, um, happiness and suffering are antithetical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you talking about happy with a lowercase h or uppercase h? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> what? You, what? <laughs> you know that that there might be the the bliss of nirvana uh-huh. could perhaps be um, called happy, but I would think that would be capital uppercase H capital H happy of of some kind of um, blissful non super mundane happiness uh-huh. as opposed to just happy as opposed to sad, right? If it's yeah, dualistic yeah. happiness as the opposite of something, then then maybe that's problematic. Uh, but, but then I think that there, you could talk about happiness in certain, some ways, uh, and I think it could be okay. I think that could be kind of um, acceptable. No, Maybe. we're not happy. No, you're not happy. <laughs> well, you're smiling. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to be happy. <laughs> so. Oh, no, dead air. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the Grateful Dead were known for. So we, just, we should just sit here for the next hour <laughs> right, and a half, right? right. Not and tune anything. up. 
Well, one of the, um, going back to the cosmology idea, and uh, I don't know if we want to talk about specific cosmologies or not. I think you did. I always do. <laughs> You're more than welcome to. Obviously, there are several, right? Um, there's the, uh, do you want to talk about like a Mount Sumeru kind of single worldview kind of thing? Or? Well, I, I think that all the different cosmologies that are in your head, are, in, in your head, are um, related to one another. Mm -hmm. They seem very similar to me. Even mm -hmm. a multiple worldview sort of idea of Mahayana Buddhism, it still mm -hmm. seems like the different worlds are related to the one that we happen to inhabit mm -hmm. with Mount Sumer in the middle and, and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't really want to talk about it. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> I knew if I pushed you, you would. <laughs> Yeah, and, and um, that seems to be, I mean, one of the um, issues is that only one, one, only one Buddha per world system, right? And so it seems like there's this one cosmology of, of our world system, mm -hmm. right? And only one Buddha at a time, right? So past is okay. There were Buddhas in the past and maybe Buddhas in the future, but Shakyamuni, our Buddha, is gone. And so there won't be another Buddha until Maitreya. Right, this idea of this kind of single worldview system. Uh, and then that explodes right, into multiple worlds and 3,000, thousand-fold worlds. And just this idea that there are all these multiple worlds. And it seems like one of the um, motivations was uh, for uh, the, effect, the idea that in these other worlds, maybe there were Buddhas still. Right? So that even though we don't have a Buddha in our world, uh, that there could be uh, in these other worlds uh, bodhisattvas, but also Buddhas preaching and uh, uh, actively preaching. Mm -hmm. So that actually, even though there's no Buddha in our world, uh, there are other Buddhas of the present, you know, now uh, that perhaps we could uh, avail ourselves of, that, you know, we could receive something from them or go visit them or whatever. Uh, so Amida Buddha is one of those um, with a pure land in the West. I mean, this is a kind of traditional model, right? So the interesting thing is, uh, and I, got, I can't say his name, so I must not want to say his name, but I think it's Randy Kloetzi or something. Klotzi, Klotzi. And he, he wrote a book about Buddhist cosmology. And so his, his view on, on, uh, on these different cosmologies is uh, that they all are cosmologies of salvation. Right? That they're all set up so that we are beings in whatever, whichever cosmology you're looking at, but there is a path of salvation. Right, that that's built into it. The idea of suffering and cessation of suffering uh, is built into these various cosmologies. Right? And so uh, I guess if you can see yourself within one of those, then uh, you know, salvation becomes uh, accessible to you. So that's something that maybe isn't offered in some of the other worldviews that we have in our, um, our just everyday world. Dead shows. We well, can't go to dead shows anymore. Fish are back together, so you can go see fish. Um, I don't know if they had quite that level of um, the depth to it, but um, but they definitely have like a, a society again and this kind of culture uh, built around of people going to shows and everything. So, so the fundamental difference between a fish or Grateful Dead cosmology and a Buddhist cosmology is that with a Buddhist cosmology, you'll actually get enlightened. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. Well. Star Trek would be another one, though, right? That Star Trek has, um, Star Trek is great, and I love it, um, but it's still fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. It's still, um, although it can ask us to, it can say a lot about our world, 
right? And it can ask us, get us to question our world or ask different questions. Um, but uh, I don't, it still seems a little different than like what Buddhism is doing. Yeah, well, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> So then, and you get people like going so far as to make my house. I'm gonna make my house look like the Enterprise. You yeah, know that guy yeah, yeah. in Ireland or England or something. Or the and woman who 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 always wears her Starfleet uh, her Starfleet uniform. You know, just you know, to her job at Kinkos or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's taking it you know seriously. <laughs> you still can't beam up right? no. when you get sick of work or something. Yeah. Beam out of there or something, right? So. That's the dream. <laughs> that's the goal. That's what we're working toward. <laughs> We're, all, we're getting there. Right, we got our communicators. <laughs> and I guess the other aspect of the cosmologies, too, is uh, are they relevant still? Right? Are they relevant to our world, or are they um, leftovers, irrelevant leftovers of a bygone era? People used to believe that stuff. You know, about pure lands and, and Buddhas and, you know, cosmic Buddhas or whatever, right? Yeah, people maybe used to believe that stuff, but, but we don't believe in that anymore. We need a, you know, it, it, it's irrelevant, right? It doesn't have anything to do with it. So that would be a question, too, I think, you know. Can we find relevance in these? Do we need, do we want to just throw them away? Modernize everything, make everything rational, make everything, uh, you know. Uh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not sure what we're saying no or yes to, but I don't. I don't think that we should throw away all the okay. the, the traditional okay. cosmology. I really like the traditional cosmology. I think it's fun. <laughs> um, or at the very least, I think whether or not it's relevant and whether or not you want to take it literally, or if you want to reinterpret it from a modernist perspective, I don't think that it makes a whole lot of sense to just throw it all away. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, and there's definitely, I think, a lot of people who uh, prefer to look at it in a metaphorical sense or a symbolic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in traditional Buddhist cosmology, there's the six realms of rebirth, and, and every everybody can come back in any one of these six realms, um, including hell realms and heavenly realms, and everyone's favorite, the hungry ghost realm. And it's really easy to talk about hungry ghosts in a metaphorical way saying that you know, uh, being a hungry ghost is, is this, the state of never being satiated, never being satisfied. Um, you're not literally reborn. It's just a symbolic metaphor of those moments in your life when you really want an iPad, but you can't buy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you, know, you have some unfulfilled desire. Too heavy. It's I only used a it. pound and a half. I, 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 used to, I went to the Apple store the other day, and I tried to use it. it was, my hand was hurting Don't after like five minutes. <laughs> Really it was really hurting in five minutes. Huh? Yeah, um, I feel my wrist hurting. So at any rate, <laughs> you're not a hungry ghost. Perhaps I am, um, and I think that you know you can. That can be helpful. That that way of looking at cosmology can be helpful. Um, I'm a little bit more agnostic. Not that I necessarily literally believe that I'm going to be reborn in some other body, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't. Never been dead, <laughs> and so I'm just not willing to let all that go yet. Right, 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 right. And I don't think the symbolic side is wrong necessarily. I think that's a great way to look at it. But I think the danger is to say, "Oh, we know better." Yeah, it's yeah. just symbolic. Right, right. Uh, and that—that's that, where I, I hesitate to draw the line so clearly, so clear cut. Um, but 
it's a different kind of fundamentalism. Yeah, in my opinion. I mean, if you take if you take something to any extreme and say it, it must be this way, there is no other explanation, and you're just practicing a different kind of fundamentalism, and that worries me. Mm-hmm. I'm fundamentally opposed to fundamentalism. Anti-fundamentalist, <laughs> fundamentalism, <laughs> fundamentalist. You. Um, yeah, and just it seems I don't know. It seems like it's it's there's uh, very often a. Uh, within a certain segment of the population, a kind of a gut reaction to throw this stuff away. Yeah. Right? And it's not everyone. It's not everyone. And, but that's an important thing. aspect of it is that for, for many people, it's, it's hard to swallow. I think the cosmology, the, the um, traditional cosmologies and various aspects, like the, the idea of the pure land, uh, are difficult to swallow for, for uh, many people. Mm-hmm. I'll go so far as to say many people in America. Sure. Um, and that's fine, and we need to acknowledge that, but that doesn't mean that we should just wrong. throw it away. And that everyone, <laughs> yeah, they're all wrong. Um, I, I, I don't think that... Right, no, um, I don't think, and I think that you can also use a lot of this stuff in a really powerful sense. I think that actually the, the whole idea of the Pure Land can be looked at as uh, inspirational, almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that we get so, sort of hung up on the idea that, you know, we go to the Pure Land and after you die and you're in this, you know, fantastic paradise and everything is wonderful and flowers are raining from the sky and everyone looks beautiful and hooray, it's just like heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, except that, you know, in Christian mythology or cosmology, when you go to heaven, you're there for the rest of your eternity. Mm-hmm. But in the Pure Land cosmology, you go to the Pure Land in order to come back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important distinction and it can be, uh, inspirational in the terms of saying, well, what our sort of real work is, is not to, to get out of here, to escape to the pure land, but to think about how we need to help other people. Mm-hmm. You can use it in a sort of productive way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I'm one of the instructors for the Jodo Shinju Correspondence Course. And so I get, it's a, it's a kind of interesting job because I get to see various, a lot of different people's uh, feelings on issues like this. And, and you know, one guy said, I don't think that the idea um, of the pure land is useful at all in our society. Like, I think he was, you know, not adamant, but had kind of decided that that wasn't, um, most people in America wouldn't accept that. And it made me think, and I was like, you know, I don't think that's true because I do funerals, right? As a minister, I do uh, quite a number of funerals. And a lot of times people will say, oh, um, you know, Bachan, she's together with Jichan now, right? My grandmother, now, you know, your grandfather's already passed away, and so now they're together again, right? And so people say that, I think... Sincerely. Sincerely, absolutely, yeah. And so you realize, well, they're kind of talking about the Pure Land in a way. I mean, they have this just kind of general American or Western or 20th, 21st century view of the afterlife of some happy kind of state, right? And that look kind of like you say, that um, Pure Land Buddhism, I think, or Jodo Shinshu takes it a step further and says, yeah, you're right. They did go to this special place, but it doesn't end there. Yeah. Actually, they're back. They came back already, and they're teaching now, right? And it's, I think that that um, is even more inspiring, where it's like, you know, it's not just that, phew, now we can feel this relief, which I think is true in a lot of cases. You know, they're not suffering anymore. And there's that. But then it doesn't end there. It's not just like, okay, now we can relax. It's kind of like, whoa, now 
I have to keep thinking about my life and reflecting on my life and that I can uh, learn, you know, that maybe I can see my life in a different way and the things that happen to me now, I can see from another perspective and we can see that maybe as their compassionate activity now after, that they're not just sitting and sitting relaxing in the Pure Land, that they're, they, they get boundless energy after that to, to teach us, right. you know, so, so I think it's a really powerful uh, to, uh, cosmology actually to, um, further people's understanding, to go even a step further than the kind of general uh, understanding. Yeah. And very positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and apart from that, for, for folks who have that sort of visceral reaction to a funeral to talk about their grandparents together on the Pure Land, who cares whether or not they believe it literally? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's comforting for them. Mm-hmm. You know, let them have that experience. Why have to, you know... To, why do we have to like take that away from people if it brings mm-hmm. them some sort of comfort or happiness? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems cruel to me. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would never, you know, deny. Well, the only time that I would deny something would be um, I did one funeral where um, the grandson, the, the the grandmother passed away. This woman passed away, and so the grandson. Um, said, you know, oh, you know, I really don't like talking on the phone, and I kept meaning to call her, and um, I'm just so busy and far away, and my, you know, my child was born, and I never took the time to go see her, and he was really hurting, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, um, that he had really um, felt this deeply, you know, and felt badly that he hadn't done that. And I, I just, I said during the thing, I was like, it's okay. You know, she knows, she knows, you know, if you didn't call her, she knew, she knew you loved her. And, you know, that she sees him now, in a way, you know, that that that, that don't feel badly about that. That was the circumstances of your life. Uh, but um, with this worldview, it's okay, you know, it's that, that, that um, maybe see that, you know, if you see that and think, wow, I got to um, call my loved ones more, you know, or, or, or make more of an effort, then things have changed. Your life has changed. You've seen your life in a different way. And you're, you're able, I think that's life affirming. You know, that rather than dwell on something that happened in the past, see it as being taught, right? That you're being taught something about yourself uh, and make a change in your life, maybe. And then um, that, to me, is Buddha work. That's the compassion of the Buddha speaking to us. Mm-hmm.